the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of The Situation Report. Glad to have you with us today. This is the show where we do our best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. I know I say that at the top of every episode, but we don't just say it as a tagline. That is what we strive to do here in today's episode uh, to that end, giving you information and perspectives is exactly what happens. My name is Jeremy Stolliker. I am your host today, although uh, more than a host, I am an observer, a student, a learner from the conversation that we're going to have with today's guest, Tho Bishop. Tho has been with us in the past. He speaks economy. <laughs> he speaks economy language. He is an assistant editor for the Mises Wire, uh, speaks on the economy, writes on the economy, uh, produces content for people like you and me to better understand the economy. And there's so much happening right now. And what we need is an historical perspective. What has happened? How did we move out of what's happened in the past? Uh, how is that connected to what's going on today? And then what is the path forward? Um, we came to Tho over this last week and we said, hey, we would really like to understand what's going on in our economy uh, from a 40-year historical perspective. Can you do that? And he jumped on. This is that conversation. This is one you are going to want to listen to. But beyond that, it's one you're going to want to share with other people in your life. So please enjoy this conversation with our guest, Tho Bishop. So we thought no one can speak on this better than you. Thanks for coming on and helping us with this. Really appreciate it. No, I was glad to join you guys, particularly this topic, which I think is so important and uh, not not well educated in the school system. Surprise, surprise. And uh, yeah, big, big shocker there. Yeah. yeah, big shocker. Our, uh, our students in schools don't understand this. Every aspect of history, it seems like I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday. Every aspect of American history has been changed to suit this narrative that we're living through now, whether it's even what our founders believed, where they came from, why our country was started, what we've done since then. And definitely on this this topic of the economy, we just don't understand it. And I think for some people, it's just that the economy, even talking about the economy, uh, it's it's just so confusing. Most people just go, I don't want to know and I can't possibly know. And that's, I think, what a lot of your work is about, is educating people on exactly that. Well, they want you to think like this because like economics at its core, it's really not nearly as complicated as they want to make it to be. But what it does tell you is who's ripping you off. And so the more complicated they make it, the harder it is to understand that. And in fact, it's interesting, you know, I I think we're going to be talking about the Federal Reserve and and some of the mistakes they've made in the past. Alan Greenspan, um, when he used to go to before Congress or in front of cameras, he would use language that was meant to, to make you go to sleep. Like he, he was mm. he would intentionally use language yeah. choices to try to make it seem like they were doing something really complicated. And then you could like read the transcripts when the Federal Reserve is you know, all the board members are there together. The language is a lot different. It's, it's, it sounds like <laughs> no, you can actually read it. Right. They they this, they intentionally use this 
you know, different sort of, of academic languages to try to cloud and hide what they're actually doing. And so that, that is a deliberate part of policy strategy at times. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's true. Uh, so today we're recording this early, but today um, the Federal Reserve just changed their um, their rate. They in, increased by half percent. I think that's right. And most people have no idea what that means. I want to get into the history, but can you talk about kind of where that is right now, these attempts to control inflation before we get into Because again, I have this conversation, I'm like half a percent, that doesn't mean anything, that doesn't impact anything, that doesn't impact me, that won't change anything. But I think it's more complicated than that. Well, for one, it's not only an increase a day, half a percentage point is important because it's a, the largest single jump we've seen in the federal funds rate in a very long time. Um, that so so you know it's it's the degree there it it, it is a, a warning sign from the Fed right. they they recognize that the inflation they were, they were sleeping on last year um, that that you know for for the longest time they've been actively calling for more inflation explicitly yeah. they're, they're they're trying to demonstrate a willingness to be very aggressive on this and what the federal fund rate really is for for you know those that may not understand the, the intricacies of Fed policy yeah, tools right. you know it, it's the overnight lending rate that banks will will give to each other. And so it, it sets the price of, of interbank loans, which then, you know, down the line impacts the way that mortgages are priced. And, and it sets, you know, from that rate, you extrapolate from there different types yeah. of debt and loans. And so, you know, a, a low interest rate environment, if, 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 you're, if you have credit card debt, you're not necessarily benefiting per se from that the same way banks do. And, and so th- that also has consequences as well into the way that mm. d- different types of debt have been accumulated, who's accumulating and things like that. So th- those intricacies aside, the big thing is that this is the Fed making a very big and bold step to try to signal that they're taking inflation very seriously, even as we have on the side, you know, various other indicators of a recession coming on, um, which yeah. is why the Fed's kind of very much in, in a pickle right now. Do you think this will will help some of these steps that they're taking right now? Um, you're the one that you know I've kind of learned from that everything's a policy decision as it relates to the economy. Will these decisions help us going forward, or will they just be another attempt to do something? <laughs> yeah, well, it, what's interesting is that if, if the Federal Reserve is serious about you know, dealing with inflation, then I think you're going to see something much stronger than this. And, and there's a, there's another component mm. here as well. It's not simply the increase in the, the federal funds rate, but the announcement of the Federal Reserve uh, uh, starting to sell off and, and, and uh, its balance sheet. And so these are the assets the Fed itself holds, which you know historically were very, very low until the financial crisis. Then it went up a great deal, trillions of dollars on its balance sheet. And then during COVID, it, it exploded in ways that you know, made 2008 look small. Yeah. And, yeah, and right, so, what right. they're, what, so what, what that is doing is that there's, they're going to be, they're going to allow financial assets that they hold, um, which include U.S. Treasury debt, which includes a lot of mortgages. The Federal Reserve is the longest, largest holder mm. of mortgages, you know, out there. Um, yeah, wow. And and so, you, but what's interesting is is that so you know, if you look, for example, at some of the, the these underlying assets the Federal Reserve is holding, if, if some of these things start going negative, if if you see a massive decline in housing prices, for example. Then, then that impacts the value of the Fed's balance sheet and things like that. Right. So, so, so these are different moving right. pieces here that they're right. all trying to get aligned here. And per- personally, I, I, if they if they get serious on the inflation issue, the consequence of that will be a recession, and and perhaps a very serious one. And so that is the trade off here. You know, and and this is why oh, inflation's crazy. Why wouldn't they? You know 
you adjust this tool that makes inflation go down right. in theory. Right. It's because the downside of this is a, is a crisis, is a, is, a, is a crash. And and so, you know, how the Fed's going to balance that going forward is going yeah. to be that that's the challenge. This seems like one of those those uh, no win situations that we always hear about. Very much so. And it's, it's one they've put themselves in. Did they, you know, right. particularly if you look at the kind of the modern history of, you know, why they're in such a difficult situation, there's two points that really matter. One is, you know, think of the early 2010s, Obama years. Um, there, there's a very interesting book that came out, um, uh, Lords of Easy Money. Every, all the mm. all economic analysis in there is, is very cringy, but it's a good history of kind of the Bernanke Fed. You know, things were, you know, for the most part, the recovery was, was slow and it was anemic during the, those you know, 2010, 2011 years. Um, and yet the Fed doubled down on emergency policies. They, they right. increased quantitative easing, which is money printing. They, they massively expand their balance sheets rather than letting it decline. Whereas during 2008 and 2009, they were promising they were going to get back to normal. They said, okay, we're not getting back to normal. They doubled down. Um, yeah. Second thing was during the Trump years where you had really good tax and deregulatory policy, you, you had wages for normal people actually going up for the first time in quite a while. That was the economy showing it was healthy. And instead of trying to get normalization there, Powell pivoted um, and Trump was complaining about it. Trump didn't, didn't want this either. So, you know, that's, that's, you know, he was very vocal about it, but that itself was a, a pivot away from normalization. And so now what you have is a time of crisis and all mm. these times where they could have gotten back to something more normal, they failed to do so. And, yeah. and so the problem is, is now, now just trying to get to where they used to be, you, you have so much bad debt in the system that if, you know, if you're a bank that if, if you're an institution that, that needs debt to keep operating and that cost of that debt goes up with the federal funds rate going up, that creates a lot of problems out there. And this, this is where you, you have a situation that can really feed, you know, uh, consumer inflation can end up, you know, creating the dynamics to where, where these asset bubbles start popping. And that is, again, this is a very, very bad mix. And this is the, the deliberate result of very bad policies over a very long period of time. You've known it in your gut. Something just wasn't right about the 2020 election. Well, you're right. And here's the proof you've been waiting for. In Dinesh D'Souza's explosive new documentary, 2000 Mules, you'll see jaw-dropping evidence of exactly how the Democrats pulled off the biggest heist in American history. Drawing on meticulous research from election integrity group, True the Vote, 2000 Mules uses both cell phone geo-tracking data and video evidence to uncover a massive network of illegal ballot trafficking in all five key swing states. Enough election fraud to change the outcome of the 2020 election. Thousands across the country attended the nationwide theatrical release. Now, you can watch from the comfort of your own home. Watch on any device with a web browser. Gather friends, family, and skeptics alike, but don't miss it. See the movie that President Donald Trump calls a real blockbuster. Go to SalemNow.com to watch today. That's SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by Salem Media Group. So let's let's go back. And, uh, you know, this is the history part of this. And I, I'd like to go back pretty far. So I was born in 1976. <clears throat> I grew up, I guess, in the 80s, but really came to understand the life and so forth uh, in the early 90s. Um, but growing up as a young person in the 80s, you know, Ronald Reagan was president, the economy was booming, things were happening, life was pretty good. That's why we look back so fondly to the 80s, I guess. 
But coming out of the Carter administration, I remember hearing my parents talk um, often about the 70s, about gas shortages, fuel shortages, um, energy shortages, food shortages, uh, high inflation, um, high interest rates. My parents buying their first house at like, you know, 11 or 12 percent mm-hmm. interest or something crazy. And then Ronald Reagan came into office and things changed. So going back to that, there's for people that understand history, there can be a bit of comfort that comes from understanding history because we can look at what we're dealing with right now and how difficult things are and how dark they seem and go, well, yes, but it's been that way before and we've come through it. So before we try to make the comparison between now and then, can you go back to maybe the Carter years? What got the United States into the mess that Carter kind of led us through, if he led us through it or walked us through or led us into? And then how did or what were some of the policies specifically that Ronald Reagan put into place that that pulled us out of that? Give us a perspective on that period of time, if you can. One of the complications of economic history in particular is that there's, there's a time aspect that can make it difficult to, to identify the, the pure catalyst and people will argue what, 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 mm, what drives others, right? right? To, to me, when right. I look at this period, we, we have to go back even further than Carter himself. And, and really, you're looking at the Nixon years. And, mm. and, and even to understand the Nixon years, that requires going back to the 60s. And, yeah. and, and, and if you look back, you know, for, for the longest time, monetary history was, was fairly boring. It, there was something, there, there, was, there was a gold backing that stayed more or less consistent. And, and you had changes in kind of banking systems that, mm. that would, you know, create, you know, the, have, have their own sort of issues there. But for the most part, you know, back when the founding fathers were around, the, the, the value of gold from, you know, 1790s going up to the 1930s, uh, or at least, at least, you know, 1920s, there wasn't a big difference. And right, then right. That, that changed with right. kind of when, when we closed the gold window during uh, World War II, FDR, you know, you know confiscated American gold. The, the finan- global financial system went from a gold back standard to a dollar back standard, more or less. Um, if you were a central bank, you could change your dollars for gold, but normal people couldn't. Right. Um, the problem is, is that during the 60s, we had a lot of, we, we, you know, during the 50s and 60s, we had a lot of military conflicts, you know, Vietnam, Korea, expansion of, of our presence overseas. And then we also had, you know, we had the great society programs. We, were, we yeah. still had, you know, the, the, the results of the New Deal, right? So we saw increased social spending, you know, the, the guns and butter if you look back, you know, kind of what was called yeah. throughout history. And so what it did is that massively increased federal spending. And so what Nixon did in the 1970s, he, what he had going in there is that you had, you had, you know, at the time, unprecedented debt levels. Looking at it from 2022, this all looks very, very small. Right. Crazy. <laughs> right, right. Day, Nothing was happening. Yeah. And, and so you, you had incredible inflationary pressure. Um, and, and this was the result of intellectual change. You, you had people accepted what you know, Keynesian economics, John Maynard, the work of John Maynard Keynes. The idea there was that basically there was a trade-off inherent in the economy that if, you're, if you have high inflation, then what that means is the economy is, is operating at a, at a very high level. And so you're mm-hmm. going to have very, very low empl- employment, mm-hmm. uh, unemployment levels. And so therefore, the basis of public policy was you, know, you have to kind of find a trade-off between unemployment levels and inflation. Well, the problem right. is, is that we ended up seeing high inflation and low economic production. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that once we took the more that we took away gold from the financial system, which took right. away kind of depoliticized checks on what these banks could do, you, we, we went from something where gold was kind of the measuring mark 
to the judgment of economic experts became the underpinning, the underpinning of the dollar. And that went full throttle in 1971 when Nixon completely took us off the gold, gold standard. If you are a, a international, uh, you know, if, if you were France, for example, you had Charles de Gaulle, this great you know, kind of nationalist leader who was trying to trade their dollar holdings for French gold that they thought they were owed. We said, sorry, we're not going to pay it. Right, <laughs> right. And, and so, so that ended up creating a situation where, where you no longer had that break. It allowed the federal government to spend a lot more without concern. It allowed for the printing a lot more dollars. We had a lot more debt. And it was those factors, Nixon also in price, price controls. And so that, uh, those, those problems manifested itself throughout the 70s. They, they, then were made you know, worse off. You know, one of the things I think with, particularly with, with the Carter years is that you think about the international instability. Uh, you, know, you think about the Iran revolution, the impact that that had on, on, on oil prices in particular. These, the, these inc- you know, added to what were underlying economic issues and, and, you know, the way that average people, you know, were really, you know, mobilized on the inflationary issue is something that I, lot, I think a lot of people today don't fully appreciate because we haven't dealt with this in a while. But you had, you know, contractors mailing in you know, two by fours to the Fed because, you know, inf- wow. interest rates were so high that they couldn't build, yeah. right? You know, you had right. people protesting increasing right. food prices and things like that. And so it, 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 was, a, it was a combination of both parties not willing to get federal spending under control mm. and when pushed mm. by monetary restraints said okay well we're going to essentially default on our obligations to foreign countries that created this this stagflation environment that that we haven't had in a very long time now the problem is is that while we no longer have gold as a check and one of the advantages the fed has now that uh, uh, the Fed did not have then was that our sort of way of doing economics has spread throughout most central bankers. Um, and so, so all mm-hmm. the other, it, whereas back in the day, you would have France trying to compete, you know, France or right. Germany competing right. with the dollar. Right. Now everyone has been kind of engaging these sort of policies for, for a while, which is why the dollar has been able to get away with a lot more. And, and so now, yeah, so 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 these mo- we're, we're facing the same problems on a, on a much larger scale because they've been they they they've been allowed to do so without sort of the restraints that gold used to play in the system. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, so there's there's a lot there, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And, and we we look at what we're dealing with right now, and um, I, I read a great book earlier last. I guess it was last year. I get the years mixed up, um, and I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. But the book is titled "The Storm Be the." Co- the calm before the, the storm before the calm. That's what it is. I get that backwards. The storm before the calm. And the basic premise is that what we're dealing with as a nation right now is just this 50 year cycle that we've been going through since the beginning, since our founding. Uh, one of the strong examples he gives there is uh, the attempt in, I think it was 1890, I'm not sure the year, to go back to a silver standard. And there was a lot of conflict, a lot of friction with that coming out of the Civil War. And how we continue to go through this cycle. And so when I look back to what you just described, it is a cycle that plays out. Are we dealing with right now something that is just the normal cycle that our country continues to go through because of bad policy? Or is this something different? It, it feels the same as what you just described. Two parties unwilling to get spending under control, 
putting in, you know, cost control measures, we find ourselves <laughs> in a place where production is going down while inflation is going up. There are wars that we're involved in. Um, foreign production of oil and energy is being controlled in ways that we have no control over. Is it the same thing or is something different happening now than what you just described? I think that there are a lot of similarities. And, you know, it is very interesting, this dynamic between liberty versus power, you know, populist versus financial class. I mean, it yeah, really goes right, right, right back to the right. very beginning. Um, so I, I think there is a lot of similarities here. I think one thing that makes this different, perhaps in scale, more, more than pattern is simply the degree to which after that Cold War era, America's power and reach is, is much larger now than it was right. back then. Because, right. I mean, you, you, can, you look at the degree to which, again, it, it goes directly to the fact that the degree to which the, you know, so many other, to the point I was making earlier about the other central bankers following our lead, yeah. You know, back back, you know, one of the major issues that in, 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 was at play during the Nixon years and, and, and during some of these other issues was concern about Japan, you know, challenging, mm. you know, mm. the, the American economy that, that yep. you know, there, there's there's concerns about you know, European countries. What we have right now is that the degree to which. Uh, and and you know, after the Cold War, you had the, the deliberate buildup of these globalist institutions yeah, where, yeah. where, so you no longer had nations sort of competing against each other to maintain their own national good. They, they would cooperate a lot more with the idea that, you know, this, you know, you know that, that this would create a better environment for all, right. You know, we're, mm. we're going to work together at, at the IMF or these G7 meetings or G20 meetings. Right. And that, that if, if all of our central bankers are on the same page, this can facilitate a an environment where we're not fighting each other and, and creating sort of turmoil that way. The problem is is that what we've what we've done is that rather than having, uh, uh, you know, countries kind of keep each other honest, we've had this again this 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 global coordinated effort engaging in the same sort of bad monetary you know, bad policy views. Yep. And that's what terrifies me right now. It's, it's interesting. One of the countries that that you know, if you look at the operations of the, the Russia Central Bank relative to everyone else, it's it's very different than the rest. Sure, of though, course, yeah. Though though it's not simply like a, a West versus the rest West sort of dynamic either. Um, Bank of China has just has been just as bad. So you know you know that's that's a, you know another dynamic to it. But so that's the thing that I, I find that, that I'm still trying to figure out the scope of this because you know it, it is it's it's not just America's policies having an effect on our own domestic economy. You know, we, we have been setting the standard for the rest of the world. And, and that's why I think it's very interesting within this, you know, this, this technocratic globalist world, something like Bitcoin is a, a major threat because it's not trying to, because it, it, it provides an alternative right. to right. other yep. central banks and controlled currencies. Yep. And so I, I, yep. I think, you, you, you're right that, that this is a, a pattern that we've seen in the past. I think just the scale of it is a little bit different than what we've seen. Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their lives. He created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you and me. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. 
Sale of the year. That means it's not going to happen again. This is the sale of the year. What is it? For a limited time, you will receive 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets that comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You will receive a set for as low as $39.99. For a limited time, with any purchase, you will receive Mike's soft cover book free when you use promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code SITREP. Along with this offer, you will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. For those of you that would rather use the phone, and some of you are out there, you know who you are, call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or MyPillow.com and use the promo code SITREP. Coming out of the Carter years, uh, things changed dramatically, and we'll we'll get to Bush, right, who kind of dragged us into this globalization thing. But um, what were some of the policies that Ronald Reagan instituted early in his administration that led to the prosperity uh, that the 80s really is known for? What were some of the specific policies? Well, there, there was two dynamics here at play that I think created the, the, the golden age of, of the 80s. One of it was the monetary policy of Paul Volcker. And, and Volcker mm. predated Reagan. He, he, was, he was actually a, a Carter mm. appointee, um, which is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, right. Uh, and and what, what Volcker did is instead of doing these, these you know, half, half percent percentage points yeah, rate increases, I mean, he, he brought interest rates up to historic highs. Right. Uh, uh, you know, he, he brought you know, from, uh, interest rates war in, in 1979 at 10%. And by 1981, he brought him all the way to 20%, which is just wow. unbelievable wow. in today's environment, <laughs> wow. right? And what, yeah. he, what he did is he, he broke inflation. And he not only broke it within the consumer price orbit, but also in the, in the asset uh, or uh, financial orbit. Yeah. You had a lot of major banks that failed because of over-leveraged loans, which is something we did not allow happen, obviously, in 2008 for the most part. And so he, he, he you know, cleansed the financial – he reset basically the financial system in a way that was very painful – at the end of the, the you know, 70s and early early 80s, um, but allowed for the dollar to be kind of really take its place as you know the the king of currencies beyond simply uh, kind of the the, the consequences of, of the Bretton Woods system and some of the pre existing stuff. So like it made the dollar stronger, and when the dollar became stronger, it did not have a negative impact on the American economy like a lot of you know, economists thought. It, it, it helped attract capital. Um, it it, it you know, because one of the things that's important is that the, the way you have economic growth is you have savings, right? Mm. People forego mm. consumption today right. so that it, that can become goods and services down the road. Right, right. And, and, you know, so it's, it's, you know, and that, that savings dynamic is something that a lot of our economic class hates. They, they, they see savings sure. as <laughs> taking good resources out that yeah, we could right. otherwise be consuming, right? right? right. And so that helps you create real sustainable economic growth that was uncoupled with Reagan era policies um, that were, you know, good on the licensing side, you know, regulatory side of things, tax cuts, and, and those dynamics that really helped businesses thrive. And so you've got a strong dollar, we've got real savings being poured in that can be then used for, for, you know, capital, you know, make, making purchases in capital goods and that, that lead to better production down the road. And so that's, that's, that's what a good economy should look like, is that you, you've got good you low taxes, strong regulatory environment, protection of, of property rights, and sound money. Um, one of the consequences, though, that, that you know, 
reg, the, the, the reg administration did not keep debt down, right? You know, they, they, there was, it was mm-hmm. good on the tax cut side, but not overall spending. There were some tweaks yep. here and there, but overall, and that ended right. up, you know, fueling some stuff down the road because there was, you know, neither Republicans or Democrats wanted to get serious on the spending issue. Yep. But, yep. but those were the supply side issues that you can, you combine low taxes, strong regulatory environment with the sound money that, that is, that is the elixir to, to what allows for real economic growth. And you had something very similar during the Trump years too, where you had you had a good tax cut plan with, with Trump's tax cut. You had an incredible deregulatory policy. Um, the dollar was stronger than the euro, and and you know, the, you know again a lot of issues, a lot of criticism of the Fed, but again relative sure. to everyone else, it was stronger than sure. most. And you had real economic growth in a way that we haven't seen in a while. This you, the, you, this stuff works. Um, the problem is again until you get serious on the spending side, which which is going to end up creating real pain in terms of you know, government programs that people have become dependent upon. Um, you know, it, it, this, this, there's a lot of things that are bad politically that come yeah. about in getting the long-term debt under, you know, you know, under, under, under control. Um, but that has been the missing ingredient, ingredient of these two periods where we saw real economic growth. So there is a formula to move forward. It is, it is possible. It's possible to get out of this situation we find ourselves in and, and to move forward. Um, after Reagan, uh, George Bush became president. He was the first, well, I, I would say he's the first, we could go back, um, to the twenties, but he, he was the first one who said out loud, there will be a new world order. This is, this is changing. Um, we need to be part of the globalist, uh, environment or the global environment. Um, as he began to put those policies in place, Bill Clinton picked that up. We we've seen that since then. Donald Trump came in and he threw a wrench in the whole in the whole thing. And I think, you know, in my opinion, this is just my opinion. Uh, that's part of why the election was um, manipulated the way that it was. The globalists had to get rid of him. He was messing with their plan. It wasn't working, and uh, they needed to do something different. We talk about the solution, so we can see that just in a historical context, it was bad. It's bad. Some things were done that that brought. Prosperity. So those things can be done again to bring prosperity. My question for you is this, with uh, 30 years of globalist policies and politicians on both sides who have pursued those policies, is it possible for someone like Donald Trump to come back, for a, a Governor DeSantis, for some true conservative to come back and institute uh, these economic policies that are needed to move forward? Or are we too far down the road in a globalist sense to get back to that place? The good thing is that I, I think that, you know, the, the creations of, you know, these, these central bankers and, and, you know, WEF types and all sort of stuff, you know, they're, 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 they're sandcastles. Um, mm. And, and that's why, and, and, and they, they, I think they know it too. This is why, their focus has been increasing the tools they have to track us, to manipulate us, you know, and, you know, th- this is why they, they, they've had to go to the links that they've had to go to, to yeah. control speech. Um, yep. And the, the one area, so, so I, I, I'm, I'm extremely optimistic about America. I think that, you know, if you, if you look at our natural resources, I mean, we still got, you know, I know Bill Gates is trying to buy it all, but, you know, our, we've got, <laughs> we got great farmland out there. We've got great right. natural resources and, right. and, and we still have a willingness to, to question authority to it. Not as much as I'd like, perhaps, but more than most. Sure. Um, I, I think that one of the things that's really interesting kind of playing on this background is the blowback of 
Western sanctions on Russia during the, the, the Ukrainian conflict. Um, because what we've seen from that mm. is oh, a rebellion to this Western controlled globalist, you know, economic order where, you know, the response to dollar sanctions has been the creation of, you know, alternative payment processes. And the countries that are working with Russia that decide that they're going to prioritize, you know, their own people having access to fertilizer right. and food yeah. more than taking a, a moral stand, I think, are, you know, a, a right one sure. against invasion, right? You know, that's, that's, there's, you know, it is what it is, but, but prioritizing the well-being of their own people beyond a virtue signal, um, you, you, you see countries like India, you see countries like Bolsonaro's Brazil, um, you see Mexico, uh, you, you have kind of the, the emerging framework of a, let's call it nationalist economic alliance. And this is, this is not a coordinated effort. It's just nations acting their own economic self-interest. Yeah. And this creates, I think, a challenge to this globalist order. Um, Europe, I think, has, is becoming a complete, you know, bureaucratic cancer upon the world at this point i mean it, it is it is a, the eu is explicitly hostile to innovation yes. um you know while while el, el salvador and the sec, central african republic are embracing bitcoin eu's trying to crush it sure, it wouldn't surprise right, me at all right, if they end up trying right. to ban twitter and elon musk controlled twitter th- throughout I, I think i think europe isn't is in danger um which is why you're seeing these these nationalist uprises within there so i i think the eu is what a lot of americans fear the america uh, where america is right now right um and so i I'm, i think that if you end up having like imagine 2024 or 2025 and you have president trump or president DeSantis, you know and, and we're still dealing with five dollar gasoline you know we're, we're dealing with years of, of food shortages we're dealing right. with, an, with an american right. people that are that recognize that they're materially worse off than they were in 2019 right and they're running on you know we're going to normalize america again and they're able hmm. to then make deals with these non-european non you know, uh, uh, you know these these countries that are looking on their own self economic self-interest i think that creates the opportunity for a, a very much a real reset um yeah. And, and, then, and then you combine that with the domestic policies on trade and regulation and all that sort of stuff that, that Republicans are, are you know, stereotypically good at, right? Um, the one problem in all of this, though, is the Fed and, and how, do, how do we rein that back in? And that's where I, I think it is a mistake at this point to look at these central bank institutions and, and think that they can ever get this genie back in the bottle that, you know, because ultimately their incentive is, you know, like, you know, they, they claim to be independent, ultimately they're not. They're, they're, they're always going to stand with the regime against the people, you know, over the people. And right. therefore, that is where I, I think you're going to end up seeing. And again, you're already seeing it poke out. You know, like the, the populist leader of El Salvador, you know, has made Bitcoin legal tender and, and making it easier for El Salvadorians to make transactions in Bitcoin. I, I think that yeah. move, the more that we can empower average Americans to get to opt out of the dollar system as much as possible, particularly long term savings and things like that. That, I think, is going to end up being the policy battleground for populists, not only in the U.S., but globally, um, because we have this, this central bank cartel is what is fueling the financialization of the economy. You know, this, mm. this is the, the, the necessities, uh, that, you know, all the tools for all the grand ambitions of, of you know, all, all of the, the bug men out there, right? They need the central banks right. for that stuff. Right. If we can create alternatives to it that, that, that can prioritize saving and 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 you know getting rid of of 
you know, currencies that can be controlled and censored and all sort of stuff. I think that that you know, creating alternatives rather than trying to control and, and turn these corrupt institutions into something that's good. If if yeah. if, if that becomes mainstream, that's good. That is yeah. something that I think can, can coupled with these other domestic policies and perhaps a reset in global relations. That I think can can you know get us to some get us out of this globalist world order into something where you know we actually have nations standing up on themselves. Man, that's good. Um, you going back to that book, one of his his points in suggesting that we're in a 50-year cycle is that what we're doing now is trying to operate under a system that worked 50 years ago and that the only way to move forward is to get past these institutions, to create new institutions. And, uh, man, you're exactly right. I, and I, I find even encouragement in technology platforms, mm-hmm. social media platforms that are being created because they're is the ability for individuals to act uh, autonomously. We can, we can exercise our own will if we're willing to do that. It seems as though Americans for a long time have not been willing to do that. They haven't felt the pain of just going along. And yet it also feels like, and, and feelings are very dangerous to trust, but it feels like there is a conservative uprising. I don't know that a lot of these people would even consider themselves conservative, but they know that the current system is broken and they want to see something different. Do you think that the the left, and again, I know it's very broad, but those in the left that currently control the narrative that right now are even controlling our economy, have they just overplayed their hand? Did they, did they not understand that Americans would get tired of these policies? Did they expect other countries to come along in kind of that globalist agenda? Where's the breakdown? Because it's bad policy. They knew it wasn't gonna take us to a good place. Have they just overreached or are they just completely ignorant of these basic principles you outlined for us in the last 30 minutes? Well, I, I think that it, you know, it's, it's funny because one of the critiques of, uh, uh, you, know, you know, criticism of Putin is that he's fallen in this authoritarian trap where, you know, bad information doesn't get passed up. And that, that might very well be true. I know mm. that, that, that was an issue with uh, uh, China and some of, you know, like sure. anyone reporting the early stuff on, on the coronavirus is thrown in jail, right? You know, this is something right. that happens <laughs> right. in, 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 throughout right. history. Right. Um, I was a problem with, you know, Napoleon. Um, I, I think within the West, you know, it, it's not necessarily that in, you know, bad news about their ideological projects isn't reported. It's they dismiss it entirely, right? As, you know, mm. white supremacist yeah. propaganda or, yep. you know, those, yep. those, those Tucker Carlson audience or whatever. <laughs> and and one of one of the things that should and, and, and this this is one of the things that, that makes them perhaps uniquely dangerous is that you know I, I think that what is guiding the let's call it the, 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 the elite left, um, which you know they which has power not only within the government but within progress you know progressively aligned corporations within mm. these sort of grand these, these globalist uh, national multinational organizations. I think that they're true believers. I, I, I think that they genuinely believe that their crusade of eliminating nationality, of, 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 of you know, creating a, a more equal, a more uh, uh, homogeneous, you know, citizens of right. the world. Right. Sort. I, right. I, I think right. they genuinely right. believe that this is why they're on earth and, and important mm. for bringing about, you know, whatever, you know, whatever they define as good. Yep. You know, we, we, we have to promote transgenderism in K through 12 schools because how else are we going to liberate, you know, oppressed 
you know, trans sixth grader, you know, you know sixth sure. graders from their sure. oppressive traditionalist right. parents, right? Right, right. The, the, the bad, the downside is that while these people are very powerful and, and overrepresented amongst the elite, the, they, they, they make up a very small percentage of any population. Yeah. Uh, if, right. if you think about the historic voting Democrat, you know, base of Democrats, it's not people with master's degrees, right, or, or PhDs. It is, you know, working class. You right. know, it, it's you know, it, it used to be, you know, not sociology departments, but union halls. Right. You know, it, the blue collar crowd. Yeah, right. And and then you 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 add on to that in recent years, you know, uh, um, you know, Hispanic voters, right, disproportionately Democrat. Um, you know, obviously, the, uh, uh, you know, African American voters have been been very strongly uh, since it's the LBJ years, whatever. The problem is, is that the the, the these these social cultural views that are now on the front burner and that the left is prioritizing to be put on the front burner, right? You know, mm. it's the left that decided to double down on, on, yeah. you know, trans programs in, right. in sure. elementary school sure. this past, you know, few years. That doesn't fly with the historic coalition that the Democrats have needed for success. Oh, interesting. And, and I think that if you, you break down, you know, you, you look at the way that voting trends are, are changing with Hispanic America, guess what? Hispanics are not okay with using government funds to mutilate children right that they, right. they don't take this stuff lightly right and and right. so that's that's the dynamic whereas if the republican party can get out of its own way and hopefully you know uh, uh, the, the 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 ohio senate race where you, you know you have republicans talking about taxing the working class because everyone needs yeah. to pay a fair share I, I theoretically i understand the idea everyone needs to have skin in the game but but don't be talking about increasing taxes Right. On the working class right now, <laughs> right when they're struggling right. to, to, to afford rent. <laughs> like, that's right. Yeah, um, that's right. And, and and so therefore, you have you when you have Ron DeSantis out there as a culture warrior, he becomes the the most po- popular politician in America because he's fighting for the issues that your average Republican didn't want. You know, they, they want they want to talk about tax cuts and not, you know, trans programs in schools. Yeah, I I, yeah. I think the, the the biggest demographic in America are not ideologically motivated by the left or right. You know, they, they just want to be left alone. They, 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 they want their kids to live a better life. They, they you know, they, they just want to feel like they're doing better. And yep. the policies that we're all going on right now, the Democrats aren't even trying to address them. You're doubling down the culture stuff. And so I, I, I think that this stuff, I, 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 in the short term, I think there's gonna be a lot of pain. But in the long term, I think I'm very optimistic about what this is going to do in the way that average people view their relationship with the state and, I, and, and, and perhaps that's lead, lead to some reevaluation in ways where we become where, where we had become very complacent yeah. after you know, decades of you know our, our material well-being going up. Some of it because of debt policies and bad monetary policies. Some that's been subsidized. Sure, um, but you know you, you were never going to have some sort of radical revolution if if people thought next year was going to be better than than, than this right. year. Right, sure, that's uh, right. Now that's changed. Yeah, that's great. So, man, it's always so encouraging to talk to you. I, I've said this before when we when we've spoken, but you just have such a way of cutting through some of the clutter. I, I get so confused with these issues. I'm mad and then I'm not, and then I say it doesn't matter, and then like 15 minutes later I'm mad again because it's it it. I, I know it's not confusing to you. I think to the average person, there's a lot there, and uh, you have such a way of of helping to uh, chart a course forward. And uh, really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. That historical perspective is incredible. And, and there is hope. I, I'm hopeful and optimistic for America too. Many people are not, but, uh, I, I agree with you. I think Americans, 
<laughs> you just described me, honestly. Uh, want to be left alone, want their family to do well. <laughs> just want things to go forward. And uh, it's very, very hopeful. Um, uh, one more time, where can people follow you and uh, read your work and, and follow what you're doing? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at thobishopmises.org is, is where my work is at. And, and if, if anyone's interested in going on, on more kind of in this money orbit, we just released a, a short, simple, multi-part animated series. Um, oh, awesome. It's what has government done to our money.com. Yeah, there's about three to four minute long videos, all you know, animated, very, very simple down, but it goes into what money is, the history, some of these this history stuff, the consequences of politicized money. Um, so that what has government done to our money.com is uh, where you can find some of that content. Awesome. Though Bishop, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. People get pills because they can't sleep. Now they get pills for depression before they know it. They're taking 12 different medications. And when it's not working out, these guys lose hope. And that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. I remember talking to a licensed social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went, and glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Another incredible conversation with Tho Bishop. Uh, we have talked a number of times on this show, and if you haven't listened to our other conversations, go back and check those out. But every time, I think this one can't be as good as the last one. And man, he just breaks it down in a way that we can understand. I hope that you will take this episode, share it with people in your life that need to hear this conversation. If you are not yet subscribed to the Situation Report, please subscribe right now on your favorite podcast platform, the one you're listening from. Go ahead and subscribe there. That lets you know exactly the moment new content three times a week comes out. And uh, we'd love for you to continue in this conversation with us. Other ways that you can listen to this, there are several. We talk about them often, but today I'd like to point you over to YouTube. If you would like to watch this episode, you can watch it and listen to it over on YouTube. Look for the Situation Report. You'll find the channel there. Subscribe, hit the notification bell. That lets you know when this content comes out. And again, love to uh, connect with you several times a week on these very, very important topics. Thank you for joining us. Look forward to talking to you next time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.